What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome and Happy New Year from What the If. The Mayan calendar wheel continues to spin. Matt, I don't think you're supposed to spin the Mayan calendar wheel. It looks a little heavy. It is frowned upon. Um, <laughs> it's also huge. If you go to Mexico City and you see sort yeah. of the, the originals, right? it's like 10 feet wide and probably weighs yeah. a few tons. Yeah. It's um, even bigger than the Wheel of Fortune. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, hmm. yeah, that's an interesting question. One, yeah, I could go on. I could go on about Wheel of Fortune, but I won't. That's I'm Philip Shane. <laughs> documentary filmmaker. Uh, those were the lovely sonorous tones of uh, Matt Stanley, professor at New York University, historian of science, and lapsed physicist. <laughs> as we decided. Yeah. <laughs> um, also with us, as always, almost as always, um, almost a professor, not yet, Gabby Panisi, a virologist at Rockefeller University. How are you, Gabby? Well, I'm writing my thesis, so that means I'm essentially banging my head against the table for six hours a day and then maybe Whoa. writing a few hundred words. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how I uh, I fare uh, in the next few months. So, good, but frustrated, and my brain hurts. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, we'll look forward to hearing more about that, and maybe we'll send you a helmet <laughs> in 2024. That'll it be would be appreciated, It'll be part of the new Patreon yeah. merch. Yeah, <laughs> it worked. It worked. Also with us this week, so I'm so excited. We have a, a wonderful guest joining us um, from Texas, uh, and it's C. Renee James. Good morning. Welcome. Do you go by C or Renee or James? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> you know, just C. Um, C. I like C. No, actually, what I what I was in school, right? The computers couldn't handle something like that, and so I became Renee. No. Oh, no. <laughs> right? no, that's great. Yeah, I got mailed to Crenny, but now, now I go by Renee. Renee, Renee James. Um, yeah, and you are a professor at uh, Sam Houston State University, uh, and and a and an author of uh, some wonderful popular science books uh, about astronomy and things. Um, it's wonderful to uh, have you here, Sam Houston University. For those who don't know, including myself, is in. Did I read in Huntsville? No. Huntsville, Texas. Yes. Huntsville, Texas. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Not to be confused with Huntsville, Alabama. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what, what I'm often doing. is. Yeah. So well, it's got a lot of thematic similarities, right? So I can see how that would happen. Yeah. Right. Hunts. So Huntsville, Alabama, is where the NASA facility is. I think mm-hmm. that's Correct. where yeah. Vernon Brown was. Um, so so where in Texas is uh, Huntsville, Texas? It's about an hour north of Houston. Okay. So you know it's. I mean, Houston is expanding, um, like in, in every direction. Right. And it's almost got to the point where it's sort of absorbed Huntsville at this point. Oh, really? uh-huh. right. Yeah. Yeah. So Huntsville is like a, the local group or a, like a, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's like the large Magellanic cloud large of Magellanic Texas. That's, that's what I'm <laughs> and, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, you have uh, your latest book is this one? Am I correct? Your latest book is "Things That Go Bump in the Universe." 
that's the most recent one. Um, tell us about that book for those who don't know. Um, it is um, basically this this seemingly random walk through all sorts of phenomena going on in the universe, like you know, obviously exploding stars. They are things that go bump in the universe, but then there's all sorts of things that collide um, and either give us like a really amazing visual show or in some cases no visual show whatsoever but we can detect them anyway through these cool things called gravitational waves where these collisions actually make space-time ripple um and then there's also pulsars which are teeny tiny little objects about the size of a city that are spinning ridiculously fast and are ridiculously dense uh, so those are some things that are kind of bumping around in our universe and and, you know, it goes through, like, how do we find these things in the first place? And what are they doing? And what can they teach us about what the universe is doing? Yeah, it's, I yeah. should say it's really a wonderful book. It's, it's super lively. And I love your sort of first person framing because we kind of follow your adventures going around learning about these things yourself and the people who work on it and the places where they do. Um, so if you, if you want to feel for what it's like to go do that kind of astronomy, um, it's really a terrific book. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And we'll put the, the link is, uh, there, uh, in the show notes. So check that out. Um, and, uh, Gabby, you could help us, uh, help the new listeners and perhaps Renee, Renee's joining us for the first time. Um, what, what has poor Renee stumbled upon and, uh, what have the listeners stumbled upon what's about to happen? Yeah. So on this show, whether you're ready for it or not, we pick one thing, our if, that we are going to change about the universe, some fundamental property or a random part of existence uh, that's now going to change. And so we follow the ramifications of that change outward as far as we can possibly go. And hopefully some cool science falls out. Maybe we've broken the universe along the way. We don't really know. <laughs> Indeed. And um, it's a good way to end the week, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The destruction exactly. of the universe. Just really pack it all up. Yeah. Exactly. Matt, can you advise people as to what safety protocols they should follow before we we, we will play a fanfare so that people understand, you know, that well, the, the if I don't is know. So so normally I would suggest things like put on your helmet and, and affix your uh your seatbelts, but the the scale of the <laughs> the things that we're dealing with today, the things that go bump in the universe, is so gigantic that it's almost hopeless. Um, so I yeah. guess I would say um, hug your loved ones tight. <laughs> <laughs> Always good advice, but especially yeah. today. Mm -hmm. As we ask, this week we're going to ask, what the if? Gravitational waves... You love them, you hate them. What if you could hear gravitational waves? What in the world does that mean? If you don't know anything about gravitational waves, you're first of all saying, what the heck is a gravitational wave? Can I surf them? That's another question I'm going to have. What if we could... What if we could hear gravitational waves? So, Renee, usually what we do is we begin these thought experiments. And... Um, um, I, I like to, to remind people that this is how Einstein liked to uh, learn, you know, or li like to do his own personal research, except I don't think he had theme music. So I think we've got one up on Einstein on that. Yeah. 
Um, can you imagine if Einstein sat down, you know, at his his little desk in his attic and played some well, music? He probably, well, he did. He probably he, played the violin. Yeah, he played the violin and the piano sometimes yeah. to distract himself. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Very good. Very good. Um, so uh, we like to define our terms. So gravitational waves, first of all, what is, Renee, can you help us understand a gravitational wave? What is a gravitational yeah. wave? All right. So speaking of Einstein um, uh, making his own theme music, <laughs> Um, one of the things, one of the many things that he realized about the universe as he was doing his, his thought experiments was that space and time are not like a fixed grid, <clears throat> excuse me, like, you know, a piece of graph paper where every block is the same dimension, uh, the things could stretch out or compress your little grid lines in space, right? And, and in space-time, for that matter, because it, it, it's all connected. And so it's like this really bizarre, uh, you know, multidimensional tapestry that you can deform. And the way to deform it is by having matter. So there's a famous quote that says, you know, mass tells space-time how to bend, um, and space-time tells matter how to move. And from this, you can you can dispense with things like you know Newton's law of universal gravitation, and then just look at the curvature of space time, and that's the thing that makes things move the way they do. So once you have yourself like this 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 fabric of space time, this actual like entity there, uh, that means that you can you can do things to it, right? If you've got a medium, um, which you know is not exactly what it is, but it it kind of is, then you can you can make that medium vibrate. Um, and so if you've got like, you know, an incredibly concentrated pair of masses and they're doing something, you know, say orbiting each other, what they do is they wind up making uh, these ripples just wave out from, from where they're, they're doing their, their orbiting. And those ripples, those, those places where the, the space time is literally like, expanding and compressing as moves out at the speed of light, those are your gravitational waves. Um, and I've only ever seen one stupendously good example of, uh, you know, like a, a, like a demonstration of gravitational waves. And that was where somebody took like a drill and they had a big bar on the, you know, on the drill bit. So it was this bar that was perpendicular and there were these two little smooth balls that were attached to either side of that, put it down on this stretchy piece of fabric, and then they turned on the drill, right? So you got these two little balls that are on the fabric that are going really, really fast around each other, and they turned on a strobe uh -huh. light, right? And so you could actually see the, the wave pattern coming off this, and it was like, holy cow, that looks exactly like all the, the, the little animations wow. of gravitational waves. It was a this beautiful cool. demo. So... And I wish I could remember who it was because I would totally give yeah, them credit. Yeah, we'll look that up. Drill bit, drill bit. Yeah. Gravitational waves. Gravitational waves. waves. Yeah, I'm exactly, sure it's easy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't try that at home. I'm just going to guess. I imagine it's a common yeah. Google search. Like I have, <laughs> if the first thing you type right. in is drill, they'll be like, yeah, gravitational yeah. waves? Right. Sound right. So, But in general, possibly you would say, don't try to make gravitational waves at home, even though you are in some min minuscule I way. I mean, but yeah. If you really try to make... Right, make them big. Um, 
so Matt, just uh, for just want to, I, I never want to leave anyone behind, right? And so somebody like, just to help them understand something that, that uh, Renee was talking about there that space is like uh, I always find the idea of a fabric to be difficult because it's a three dimensional thing, right? So it's sort of like we're in it. Um, can we imagine we are like fish in an aquarium or something? And yeah, the water is like that. So. You know, this is one of these things where our brains don't do well with higher <laughs> dimensional stuff. So, so fabric yeah. is a metaphor, and of course, fabric is two dimensional. Um, but we're talking about space time, which is four dimensional. Um, right. But fabric has properties that help us understand what's going on with with four dimensions. So, like fabric is um, continuous, right? So if I if I pull on the fabric here then um, eventually it'll, it affects the fabric over here. And fabric can be curved and stretched. Um, so this is, this is a helpful analogy for, for thinking about what's going on um, right. on a larger scale in the universe. Right, right. So Renee, we've got things spinning and they're making ripples. What in, is, it, what, is there something in the universe that's spinning and making these ripples? In, in uh, there's all sorts of things in the universe that are, that are doing this. Um, so you've got like individual objects that could be doing this. And one of those could be a neutron star, which is uh, an object that if you had a teaspoon of it, it would weigh as much as a mountain. So they're ridiculously dense. Um, and because they're ridiculously dense, they actually put a really big dent in space time. I mean, they really stretch out the, the grid lines. And, and then this is one of the things that just blew me away. For the most part, they're incredibly spherical um and so if you have a rotating sphere you know that doesn't have any other interesting properties to it it's not going to really it's not going to be generating your gravitational waves because it's, it's perfectly mm. symmetric but if you have if you have any kind of deformation at all on your on your spinning pulsar then you could get gravitational oh. waves from it because you know maybe you've got a little a little outcropping right and the outcropping for something like this is something in the order of a centimeter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow! So, so it's how 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 far across would a neutron star be generally? Okay, so your basic neutron star is you know twenty-ish okay, kilometers. So, like across. the size of Manhattan, and but roughly, yeah. Yeah, but perfectly, but so and, and so now you've got mm. yeah, you've got this 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 centimeter tall. Uh, thing in the crust and and that could create the gravitational that's waves. great so that one centimeter deformation is enough to ruin the whole thing like you're running the new york marathon and somebody says no you got to go one centimeter more and, and then you flip over <laughs> the table and you're like forget it <laughs> everything was fine until that centimeter yeah. happened <laughs> oh, not another centimeter yeah no that that when i found that one out i just i just kind of went yeah, blink that's... blink blink i don't that's no. Um, I mean, I've got undulations bigger than that in my floor, <laughs> right? And uh, and for this to become a thing that that could create the gravitational waves with a wavelength of how long it takes this thing to go around, right? Oh, so uh, I, I just actually expressed a wavelength in time, which is <laughs> dumb, but um, but like you know, say you've got this thing whipping around. 60 times a second. So you would get a gravitational wave signal that was 60 hertz. Okay. Oh, that's cool. 
So 60 of these would well, pass you a second. That's why. So, yeah. Gabby, do you have any questions so far before we begin to explore what these things would sound like if you could hear them? Are you, are you up yeah. to speed on what a gravitational... Are you familiar with gravitational waves from before? Is this, or is this a new concept? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I'm a biologist, so this is kind of not necessarily my field. I am right. passingly familiar with them, probably in the way that most of our audience is, is that you kind yeah. of know big things in space go burr and then waves happen. <laughs> um, but that we need very complicated machinery to actually detect them. Um, so that was actually going to be sort of my question is about how we normally detect these things because, mm-hmm. you know, sound is very easy for us to, you know, you hear things every day. That's vibrations in the air that we have specially evolved things for. We had to build stuff to listen for these, uh, to be able to detect them. So I'm kind of curious about, okay, well, if we can't feel gravitational waves ourselves. What are we looking at to actually tell that they're there? Yes. Renee, tell us. So you can't, you can't, you can't feel them um, and you can't see them, right? So you can't just pull out a telescope and, and go mm-hmm. take a look. Uh, even if you look in, you know, radio waves or, or x-rays, gamma rays or stuff like that. Um, so, you know, and your seismograph obviously won't work for this because, you know, those are your compression waves, but it is a a type of observatory that we developed. I say we, like I had something to do with it. Um, but as a species, as a really clever species that I, I, I'd like to, you know, I'm proud to be part of. <laughs> they, they built these enormous right angle uh, tunnels, right? So they're four kilometers long on an arm. And Renee, um, I'll just re- remind everyone and, that this is an audio only podcast. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, doing yeah. a wonderful job. I will talk no, very with good. my very hands good. Very beautiful. regardless. So you've got these right angle tunnels that um, converge. And at their, at their point where they converge, you've got a, a laser signal that goes out. And then it splits up into two laser signals. And each, each of those two pieces of the laser goes zipping down the four kilometer long tunnels. Which have been completely evacuated because you cannot have you know any four spare kilom- atoms that each mess tunnel things is four up. Kilometers. Right. Amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they hit an incredibly heavy mm-hmm. mirror that doesn't look like a mirror because you can see through it, yeah. which is mm-hmm. weird. Except that these are infrared lasers, and as far as they're concerned, this is a wonderful mirror. Um, and so they bounce off that, and then they come back. And if nothing has happened to the length of either arm then the two laser beams will come back and they'll be, you know, the waves of the lasers will be in phase. They'll, they'll basically have the exact same profile that they had when they left. Um, but, you know, if you get waves that start to interact, and, you know, this is stuff that, that a lot of people get into in, in like middle school, high school science, where they, they explore what happens when you have waves that are maybe out of phase. Um, the Sometimes they'll add up and you get a bigger wave and sometimes they'll cancel out. You, you get a much smaller little uh, wave profile there. And so the, the basic idea is super simple. If a gravitational wave has wandered into our area or rather zipped through our area at light speed, right? And made one of these arms a little bit longer or shorter 
then the profile of the laser beam, when it has hit the mirror and come back, will be slightly off. Mm. And, you know, it, it's not just going to be like a gravitational wave that'll come rolling through. You've got, you know, a, a fairly continuous signal from, you know, some event. And it'll last for some short period of time. And so you can watch, you know, over time, what has happened to your to your combined laser beam when it gets back to the starting point. So that's how we detect these things. So, so just, and on, just on that, a clarification the, on this, I think that when you say, so I know there's a laser goes down each arm and it comes back and then the two lasers right. uh, go, or, you know, interact with each other. And when you say, for instance, isn't right. it, can we say that basically what happens is if a gravitational wave passes through that the, the light that you're looking at, the combined light that comes from those two lasers interacting with each other gets brighter and dimmer or changes color? Uh, it's not going to change color. It's going to change intensity. So it'll get brighter or dimmer. Yeah. So you see this light, right? So yeah. the light sort of basically, you know, for those who uh, aren't familiar with waves and things like that, they might imagine that basically what happens is if you were an astronomer at one of these, this is very simplifying, but like if you're an astronomer at, at this observatory, um, which I think is called LIGO, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And um, so you're looking at a laser, you're looking at a light that is coming from two lasers shining on the same spot. Um, and if a gravitational wave passes through you and the entire observatory, that little light you're looking at is going to go, is going to blink a little bit. It's going to get brighter and dimmer, brighter and dimmer, brighter and dimmer. Mm -hmm. In relation to the waves passing right. through, right, and yeah, and and the frequency of that that bright, brightening yeah. and dimming is is going to change, and it's going to tell you something about the properties of the thing that that mm -hmm. created right. the waves, uh, the original gravitational waves, and so it might go like brighter, dimmer, brighter, dimmer, brighter, dimmer, <laughs> yeah, and brighter, dimmer, brighter, dimmer, brighter, and then eventually it'll just be like done, we're done, we're done. <laughs> The thing, the thing has, the thing has collided, and now it's not doing anything right. really anymore. And and that wave coming through, also just to be clear, was moving not just the observatory or just these lasers, but basically the not just and not just even the entire Earth, but all of space time that we are in yes. was was getting it, bigger it, and smaller. Was being stretched it, in and out. Yes, it's literally stretching and compressing everything, you know, in its path. Right. So now, if we could hear such a thing, it's funny that you just did that audio, uh, uh, <laughs> audio analogy there. So our question, our if for today, was what if we could hear gravitational waves, which are basically ripples traveling through space-time, and so um, if the, as they passed through us, what in, the, what in the world would that mean? If we could, if could, we could we, hear them. Yeah, if we, we could hear them. Yeah. And, and we would have to have like some stupendously good hearing right, right right but but just for grins um so there's all sorts of sources that that can make gravitational waves i mentioned the pulsar like a an individual pulsar if it's spinning and it has like a, a small deformation on its surface then you get gravitational waves at whatever frequency that pulsar is spinning and there are pulsars that are spinning hundreds of times a second which is crazy, you know, like just, I just want everybody to stop for a moment and imagine a thing 
that weighs half a million times as much as the planet you live on and <laughs> is smaller than your city. And it's spinning faster than your kitchen blender will, you know, the little blade in there is spinning. Wow. Think of the mocktail you could make with that Seriously. Kind of blender. Seriously. Yeah. Shake it, not stirred. No, I told you not stirred. Um, <laughs> but, okay. I mean, every now and then, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to be writing about it and talking to people and, you know, they're talking very just sort of detached about, you know, it's just it's blah, 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 it's pulsar, it's a thing, it's neutron star, it does it. And every now and then you just sit back and go like, geez, that's insane, you know? That is that is that is next level weirdness. But pulsars, like at this point in astronomical history, they're you know, like, eh, we we kind of got a lot of that figured out, and and we expect to mm. see lots of them. And I'm just like, really? How did we come to this? But anyway, <laughs> you know, imagine the thing is 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 zipping around. the The fastest one that we know about is like a bit over 700 times a second. And well, so that's that's unacceptable. It is. It really <laughs> is. Uh, it's just, and it doesn't fly apart. That's the thing. Mm. That's one of the first clues that they were like, we have to have a really dense thing here because somehow it's still there. But it does put a handy limit on how fast they can spin around. Like they can't go faster mm. than about fifteen hundred times a second. So you're never going to get a gravitational wave signal from a pulsar that's more than fifteen hundred hertz. Oh. Um. And I, I'm not sure what the note is for 1500 hertz, but 700-ish is still on your keyboard, right? It's still on your piano. Uh, and yeah. if I remember correctly, it's about one and a half octaves above middle C. So, you know, it's, it's a high-ish note, but it's not like an huh. obnoxiously high note. But it, it does sound a bit like a bee buzzing. So it means sort of thing. Wow. And that would be this, the sound of a millisecond pulsar that has some kind of a, you know, thing on its surface that's making the gravitational waves. But, you so know. So just to repeat that, so we're saying, is this, if you could hear the gravitational waves that are being, the ripples that are radiating outward from a pulsar and passing through you, right. they would sound like a buzzing bee who's singing what was it? Uh, uh, what note? <laughs> uh, above. It's about it's about one and a half octaves above little C. So okay, yeah. So maybe like an A, a high A or something. Yeah, something like uh, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't really get there very well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you've got you've got pulsars with all sorts of of different rotation rates, and so you know, if you had a galaxy full of pulsars that you know had um, something on their surface that was causing the gravitational wave be formed, then you would hear everything from, you know, right at the threshold of human hearing all, you know, on, on the low side, all the way up to the, to that 700 and something Hertz one, you know, so it wouldn't wow. go so all the like way this, to the yeah. high end, okay. but it would um, also it be would really, be a... it'd be very faint too, because these are not making, they're not making particularly loud gravitational wave signals and, and loud as right. a Terrible term because you're not hearing the things for real, but they're not really creating particularly large undulations in space time. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like they would be constant too, yeah. right? So the constant hums. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so what would be the, if you'll pardon the, the metaphor, what's the loudest things 
um, if not the the neutron star hums? Um, so louder things are where you've got some really, really compact objects that are interacting with each other, not just your one pulsar that's hanging out, but maybe a couple of neutron stars that are orbiting each other. Or even better, a couple of black holes that are orbiting each other because the the denser and more massive the thing is, the the more it's going to bend that that space time, and mm-hmm. so as they're interacting, you're going to get you're going to get deeper ripples. But as you get farther and farther and farther away, you know, just like sound, it, it's going to get fainter and fainter and fainter. So you know, if you had a couple of really massive black holes, you know, in the neighborhood of 30, 40 times the mass of our sun, and they were in our galaxy, which is like basically right next to you right somebody next to you screaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's it, like the subway <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, but the thing is they they don't just sit there and orbit around each other in the same pattern forever and ever and ever and ever because as they're going around they're losing energy because they're rippling space-time. And so they'll actually get closer and closer and closer, which means their frequency gets higher and higher and higher. But so does the loudness because they're, you know, as they get closer and closer, they're really, really shaking up the space-time. And so you wind up with something that starts out when they're farther apart as a, as a low hum, you know, really low frequency, even beyond human hearing, low, right? Hmm. And then eventually it gets to the point that you would be able to hear this like super low rumbling, but it's kind of quiet. And then it would get higher and higher frequency and louder and louder and louder. And there's so many videos of gravitational wave astronomers trying to describe this and they go, whoop. <laughs> and <Yeah>. that, that's <laughs> the sound. That's basically it. It goes, whoop. Um, and depending on the mass of your system and, you know, how everything's oriented, you know, sometimes it just goes like, like it's done because your your two (laughs) black holes have have crashed into each other and and that's it, right? The game's over. Uh, but some things like a couple of neutron stars can endure for a really long time where you're, you're hearing that low rumble just barely get the audible and then eventually get on. And loud. Right. And what's interesting is at the end of that sound, when that sound cuts off, right? It goes, yeah. Whoosh, boom. At the very end of that, two black holes have merged. Right. And yet there's no sound from that in the gravitational waves. Is that right? That is, that's the end of the gravitational wave. Basically, yeah. Ripples. Yeah. 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 So yeah. we don't get that satisfying sound of the Death Star. No pop or out. anything. Yeah. Yeah. No pop or nothing. Right. Just whoop. <laughs> I will admit the little whoop is a little yeah. bit less anticlimactic than what I'd been imagining, which was something more like the, uh, you remember like the, the, or like the, the, I was thinking of the THX, the, that yeah. company when they would do that, yeah. where it would just, it would get louder and louder and louder and then just completely blast your ears off in the theater. That's yeah. kind of what I was expecting. And so instead the little whoop is much cuter. It, it is. It's kind of cute. And the really, one of the things that I think is really cool about, okay, the, hmm, let me back up. Not everything hears the same frequencies that we hear. Um, 
like, mm. you know, a dog whistle works sure. on dogs, right. but, mm. but people can't mm. hear it. And so, you know, if there were some gravitational wave signal that was at a higher frequency, right, mm. the dogs would all be going nuts. But we'd be kind of like, Fido, what's your problem? One of the cool things about, you know, all of these these sources where things are merging is that they always necessarily start with a lower frequency because the, the objects are farther apart. They take longer to get around. Mm. And so, you know, you've got things like elephants that can hear that, that infrasonic sound. Mm. And yeah. so, you know, all your elephants start going nuts, right? Why, why is this happening? Why are the elephants all kind of freaking out? And it, it'll be because they're catching the front end of a thing that we're about to hear, right? Mm. If you could do that. And the cool thing about LIGO is that the frequencies that it's sensitive to in terms of gravitational waves are almost the same as the frequencies that people are sensitive to in terms of yeah. sound. Mm -hmm. um, that means it's it's pretty close to, to spot on there. And it's just like, it's easy to sonify these things. They sound not that interesting. Like I said, most of them are like, because they're they're really short in duration for the amount of time that LIGO can can hear them. But if right. we could hear them, they would be really short in duration for the time that we could hear them. Right. Now, what if as as we get uh, as we come around the corner on these ifs, I like to blow it up. We like to hit the pedal to the metal and go way out there. What if we could suppose just in, in our normal day going about our business on the earth, um, what if we could hear all the gravitational waves that are out there, you know. Um, so in other words, we would look up, well, we wouldn't even have to look up at the sky, but just for reference, we would look up at the sky and, um, you know, we're listening. What might we be hearing? Would it be this cacophony? Yeah, basically. So, you know, you would have, you know, and again, the farther things would be much, much quieter. But if mm -hmm. for whatever reason they weren't, uh, yeah, you know, and I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but you would expect multiple things to be coming together every hour mm. somewhere in the yeah. universe. Okay. So, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be just a constant whip, 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 right? But it would, it would certainly be a lot. And then, of course, you've got any of the pulsars that are doing their thing and they're, you know, there's... There are thousands of known pulsars in our own galaxy, and they all have their own frequencies. Now, that doesn't mean that they all have something about them that would cause gravitational waves. Mm -hmm. But even if you had a few percent of them making some kind of gravitational wave, then you would hear all of those little, like, persistent, you know, and then the... And this would all just be, like, background noise all the time. So would people like nowadays we with with optical astronomy, well, not really astronomy per se, but people like to go out at night and and stargaze, right? You 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 lay right. on your lawn and you look up at the night sky, and that's a pleasant way to spend a couple hours. Is there some equivalent to that? If we could hear gravity waves, like on a if I want to have a romantic date, do I go out and and listen to the sky? That's <laughs> awesome. Um, I I think. I got to believe that if this is a thing that we could hear, that our brains would very quickly learn to tune it out, like our own heartbeat, uh, mm, right? The blood rushing through yeah. your ears, you know, because that would just be a, 
super irritating, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just this endless raindrops of, of space time. Um, but no, I mean, it wouldn't matter where you were. Right. There's no uh, shielding yeah. from this. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's literally transforming the size and, and shape of space time. So, so so there's no point in going out to yeah to do it. I can just listen in my living room. Um, right. And, and there's fact, no soundproofing either. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So you're like, the stars are really loud today. I have to turn up my movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, every okay. now and then you might hear one that's like, you know, particularly loud. Like, ooh, I bet you that one made a kilonova. You know, <laughs> right next door, and it sounded just like, oh, there goes a couple of neutron star mergers again. They and I guess so the, then, do you think? Go ahead. Oh, go, I was going to say then, do you think we'd get good at being able to tell what they're from? Oh, Probably yeah. be like bird calls at that point, right? You know, walk outside, yeah. ooh, mm. mockingbird. Except you wouldn't have to walk outside, right? It's just, it's just endless everywhere. That's wow. So maybe, is it like, I don't know, I wonder, you know, when our cats go crazy, like in the middle of the night and start running around, <laughs> is yes. it possible that they're hearing, you know, kilonovas? Is that what's that's going what on? Was, I'm 99% sure they're, they're definitely hearing something, but I think it's in a different universe. Like, all right. Not, not <laughs> even black hole mergers, black yeah. holes colliding in a different universe. So, and they just, <laughs> and that, that, well, it's that, it's that, that is the gravity that they tap into right when they're on the bed and they get oh and they become unmovable yeah exactly yeah they they are <laughs> and then when their particular black hole collides with another one that's when they go nuts <laughs> that was my favorite black hole <laughs> nah, i can go find another one it's got to be over here somewhere now as a way to help people understand it, it strikes me as another way to understand what these gravitational waves are like, perhaps, or how they might feel, if not sound. It strikes me, you know, when you talk about animals, that animals sense uh, earthquakes mm -hmm. before we do, right? They suddenly start, like you mentioned the elephants or whatever, it's like they feel these incredibly low waves before we can feel or hear anything. Um, it seems like gr gravitational waves are essentially quakes in space-time, is that right? Sort of. Sure. We'll go with that. Um, assuming that <laughs> well, like an earthquake, when, in an earthquake, when when, when two land masses, you know, uh, jolt against each other, it sends out right waves, and that's what we feel as an earthquake, right? Right, and that actually was you know one of the, the analogies that I used in the book a few times was like Krakatoa. You know, one mm, one of the mm, things mm. is trying to compare energies to something like that, but also the fact that that did create. Um, sound waves right that went rippling through the atmosphere and then all the all the barometers that were at the various weather stations at the time you know noted the pressure change but they didn't have a particularly good network to say like hey you know we got a low and a high pressure thing happening real quick and then the next one goes yeah us too oh my god what happened right but that's what LIGO is it's like oh we got a mm -hmm. A really interesting change in the dimensions of the fabric of space time. And then the other LIGO is like, heck, us too, right? We got it a millisecond later, which means it had to have been over here, right? The disaster, the, the, the universal Krakatoa that just went down is in that direction. 
right? And you can pick that out from from the signals. Right. But but yeah, I mean, as far as as analogies go, earthquake is is as good as any, as long as nobody from LIGO is listening in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep it secret. Yeah, keep it secret. Um, so uh, lastly, if you are a um, um, some sort of incredibly imaginary uh, composer or conductor, like the Sorcerer's Apprentice, kind right? Of, and you could create a music <laughs> using all of these uh, using gravitational waves. What might you do? What might your your band have to be comprised of, or what instruments do you have in your percussion, <laughs> your extra- extraordinary percussion section? Yeah, well, you've got hands. Uh, so I'm thinking, like, if you had your your you know big big drum like a floor tom or or something, um, and you. You strike that, and then you just put more pressure on it. It makes it makes it go like whoop. You, you huh. can change the you mm. can change the frequency of you. You're talking to me. I got a new drum set for Christmas. Um, I did. Oh, I told <laughs> I told my son that it was for him, and he was all excited. But the reality is, it's for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of the joys of parenting. Yeah. Yeah. So you get your kids toys, and and they're like, yay. But um, uh, but yeah, you can you can change the pitch of your of your drum by just changing the, the tension on it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you need to do this pretty quickly. Right? So you could hit it and it would be a low pitch, but then you just kind of put some pressure on it and it's a little bit higher. You would definitely need to have a cool synthesizer that gives you that um, that B buzzing kind of thing. You don't want it to be a continuous note for your pulsars. You want it to be you know, something that, that kind of feels broken up. Um, mm. I'm trying to think of a good example for that. Well, bee buzzing is, is kind of adequate, but. Or a, b- well, a bee buzzing around a, um, <laughs> uh, a, a bee zapper. I'm thinking like an old modem thing really more than anything else. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like four people know what that sounds like anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, you need you need something that gives you kind of a harsh mechanical sounding buzz, and you got like a whole keyboard uh-huh. available of those because that's all pulsars, right? And you can do anything with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you get your 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 merging things, they don't give you a lot of options. They they crescendo and and glissando up the scale. Very quickly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, you got to have some, well, maybe a slide whistle. Are those oh, metal plates? Mm-hmm. Oh, a slide whistle, exactly. But basically, when you were talking about what the sky would sound like, it, I, I was, that's what I was imagining. <laughs> it's this endless, endless, relentless. Choirs of angels with side, slide whistles. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Oh, God, that's, <laughs> that's what they really sound like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gabby, do you have any, uh, any uh, quest- last questions? No, the comment about the slide whistle is really just making me feel bad for my mother who did once make the terrible mistake of allowing my dad to buy me a slide whistle and then I tortured <laughs> both of them with it relentlessly. Um, yeah, that's all I'm thinking of right now. <laughs> the choir of angels with slide whistles uh, and me running around my house as a child tormenting my parents. Well, just, just you know, you were just 
prescient, right? You you knew that this was going to yeah. be a thing at some point, and that it would be a wonderful analogy for for gravitational wave signals. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell them that later on today when I see them that this was actually all training, and so yeah, it was no. all worth it completely. Yeah, yeah. Then they'll say to you, "We knew that. That's why we bought it for you." Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we just knew. <laughs> Matt, any uh, any um, final questions, mysteries that uh, remain for you? Or, uh, well, I'm wondering, would we, presumably there, because we have people who are good at listening to music and people who are not good at listening to music. Yeah. Would we have people who are really good at hearing gravitational waves and would they be like professional listeners? They'd mm. sit there mm. and the astronomers would, would wait around until Sally says, oh, that was one. There goes one. Yeah. 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 You could have somebody that had like perfect pitch. You know, oh, yes. that sounded like a 20 solar mass black hole and then a 10 solar mass black hole with an inclination of this and an eccentricity of this uh, sounded like it was about 1.2, no, 1.3 billion light years away. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Acoustic astronomy. Acoustic there astronomy. I think there you go. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Renee, uh, my last question for you is I, I know that. Just very recently, there was talk in the news, I believe, about that they discovered the gravitational wave background. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. What, what, what was that and what would that sound like? You will not be sharing that, um, <laughs> regardless of whether you're an elephant or uh, a dog or a person. Oh, um, okay. So, you know, one of the analogies that, that gravitational wave astronomers love to use is that it's a bit like throwing a bunch of pebbles into a pond, right? And and each place where a pebble goes sploosh uh, is, a, is a gravitational wave source. And there's been these sorts of things going on for ever, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as, as the universe has expanded, you know, the, the, the gravitational waves have as well. And so you've got this, this cacophony of signals you know, some of them incredibly ancient from things that have happened, you know, ginormous black holes with millions of times the mass of the sun lumbering around each other. And the the signal tends to be something in the in the general area of nanohertz. Oh. You know, like, like middle C is is what, like two hundred and something hertz? She says authoritatively, music yeah, people help right. males. Yeah. Right. And hertz is cycles per second. Right. right? It's it's how many waves yeah. are hitting you every second. And so um you get up to something that's a couple of octaves above middle C, and now you're talking seven hundred hertz regime. These are nanohertz, billionths of a hertz. And that means that the waves are rolling past you, mind you, at the speed of light, about once a decade. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their they're, they're wave periods are crazy, crazy long. Um, so there is an incredibly persistent low, 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 low level hum <laughs> um, everywhere. And it necessarily takes astronomers a bit of time to find something like that, because if you're talking about a wave that changes on the order of decades, you've got to be looking for it on the order of 
decades. Yeah. So this was something that they started about oh, wow. 20, yeah. 20 ish years ago. And, you know, finally they're like, I, yes, we are more confident that we have seen a signal. All right. That's got to be tough for the graduate students. Like, <laughs> okay. You can finish your thesis in 25 <laughs> years when we hear the next signal. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. That's why. Just that's keep, wild. no, just keep going. I, this is definitely your year. Exactly. Your decade. Yeah. Um. So thank you, uh, Renee. This has been uh, really fast, really mind opening and ear opening, and uh, I love and and makes gravitational gravitational waves are already fascinating. But this really, it's such a visceral thing to imagine what they would what they would sound like, and even just what the sky sounds like. like Can I toss in a quick a quick plug? Um, not for anybody individually, but. Um, yeah. The sonification of astronomical signals, like you take a gravitational wave signal and make it to the, and you take a pulsar signal and you make it into the, um, and and there's just so many other things that you can sonify has really made astronomy a lot more accessible um, to people that may be visually impaired, and and yes. so you you can yeah. get a very good feel for what this object is doing by listening to the signal, and there's just a whole or army of of astronomers working to sonify the data so that oh. you know it doesn't have to be visual not that gravitational wave signals are visual anyway but right. you know the these sorts of things like pulsars and uh supernovae and you know various nebulae out there that they sonify to give you an idea of intensities and such so yes it is it's a it's a really cool Field all the way that around. Is cool. you, you're reminding me of one of, the, one of the people I've always been most fascinated by. I think his name is Kent Colors. Is that his name? He's an astronomer. So in Contact, right? Jimmy in the movie Contact, Jimmy Smith plays mm. a character, and there's a, he's a blind a blind radio astronomer. Right. So it's okay because it's radio astronomy, and actually he's a computer <laughs> expert. <laughs> but um, uh, I always I, I when I saw the movie, I thought, oh, that's so cheesy that idea. Oh, of course, there's a blind radio astronomer. But then I learned, no, that's he's based on a real person. And then I was at a conference once at Harvard or something, a SETI conference, and he was there, uh, the astronomer Kent Colors, and he got up and he had a um, like a tape recorder and he played tape that he of uh, radio radio astronomy signals that he had as you, he has to transpose that i guess into some right. frequency that you could hear but he played he said here's what a here's what a pulsar sounds like and here's what oh, it yeah. sounds like really, yeah really those cool. are cool it really is and and yeah. like i said it it helps you perceive it in a in an entirely different way and you go oh yeah. Yeah, this looks like a dot but this is what that dot's doing yeah 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 very cool very cool well thank you renee the book uh your latest book the things that go bump in the universe and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's available everywhere. It's from Johns Hopkins Press. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug, Renee? Anything of yours? Are you giving any talks or anything? Or uh, nightclub I, acts? <laughs> will you, will you be, are you in a band with your drums? Uh, I, I just did a, a sort of a charity gig doing some Metallica over the weekend. But no I way. think, uh-huh. yeah, um, I went actually a lot for probably another 10 weeks or so. We're, we're working out a new set. Excellent. Uh, I do have a talk coming up at the Texas Astronomical Society in Dallas at the end of February. Okay. I'm sure. Perfect. It's a Friday. It's the last one in February and I don't know the exact date. 26, she says authoritatively. No, <laughs> maybe not. Anyway, you can get a calendar and look at that. It is the 26th. You're correct. Oh, yeah. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sometimes Very you get good. things right. So, uh, and I can recommend, you know, your classes. Clearly, C. Renee James is the coolest uh, professor at <laughs> Sam Houston University. Um, and I'm sure the members of Metallica would endorse that as well. I'm sure they um, would. Oh, I'm sure they would. Uh, Gabby, is there anything you'd like to plug? Alas, I am unplugged. Unplugged. <laughs> unplugged for the new year. Really the acoustic. acoustic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Matt? Plug or uh, no, I'm not doing anything interesting for a while. Um, just my um, constitutional responsibilities here. Oh, indeed. It, it's, yeah. it is written in the Constitution that you... That is correct. It's an obscure Matt passage Stanley. in the Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No one could make sense of until 1975. Yeah. The 125th Amendment. Matt Stanley. <laughs> will. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, uh, I plug. I'll just plug again the book, Things That Go Bump in the Universe. was fantastic. Um, Thank you, Renee, uh, for coming. Um, uh, listeners, if you have ideas for a show that you'd like to hear, um, uh, either just the topic or if you have an idea for an if, an imagination, if your imagination runs wild, all, you can always let us know. Just go to whattheif.com and uh, hit contact and let us know uh, or email us feedback at whattheif.com. And as always, a big shout out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you all. Uh, as we go into a new year, uh, your support continues to uh, uh, be welcome. And um, Patreon members only get a special bonus episode, a bonus extended after-show party discussions, uh, which uh, we'll be recording with Renee. We'll be t talking to Renee a little bit more about gravitational waves and some uh, other things, maybe things that go on in Texas that we don't know about. It's always fun. I'm always interested in hearing about that. Um, I assume the gravitational waves are bigger in Texas as, as, as everything else. Absolutely. Is. They get yeah. magnified somehow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, so thank you again, Patreon supporters. If you don't know what Patreon is or you just want to check them out, you've heard me mention it a million times and you're like, what in the world is that? Patreon.com slash what the if and find out all the cool merch you can get and uh, other bonus features like uh, your extended episodes just for Patreon members at Patreon dot com slash what the if um gabby would you help uh us um explain why we have uh what we have to do right now and as we begin our closing ceremonies yes so we have a ritual to close everything out and return the universe uh back to its state of uh, not exactly silence but at least not gravitational based noise uh in which we all shout the name of the show together in unison. Um, so, if you will join me. We must bring the universe back together as we shout. What? what? The Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Renee. Uh, shout out to anyone else listening to our gravitational wave podcast. We're going to broadcast, start broadcasting our podcast in gravitational waves. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>